Welcome to the Imago Day Eastside Gathering Podcast. Hey, Imago Day, it is great to be with you today. I am coming to you from East Side's campus. Um, Pastor Mike, as you know, has not been preaching as much recently, and he's been recovering uh, physically from uh, a hemothorax that he had in his lung that is on the men, and we're so grateful for that. Please keep praying for Pastor Mike. He will hopefully be back with us in a few weeks. Uh, but it's great to be with you today. Today we're starting a new series on the book of Colossians. And uh, I'm so pumped about this series. As we talked in our last series on forgiveness, um, I believe that with everything that's happened in 2020 and as things continue to happen in 2021, that God is calling us to walk into the freedom that he's created for us. Forgiveness is a huge piece of that. Uh, in the book of Colossians, though, we are going to see how Christ actually is our freedom. And Paul invites us to see him uh, in his majesty and his power, but to know him in us as our hope. And so we are going to be walking through uh, this book over the next several weeks. Um, Colossians is an incredible book. And it, it's about the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus, uh, that he's the head of all creation, that he's the head of the church. And there's no book in the New Testament, including John's gospel, which presents such a comprehensive picture of the fullness of Christ. And so no writer is better equipped to draw us in to that than the book of Colossians. And so here's my prayer for us. My prayer is that I want us to view Jesus. I want our view of Jesus to be expanded and embedded permanently on our hearts and minds. And I want us, I want to pray that for us so that we will see him as our life to set our hearts on him, uh, to put our hearts in his heaven and his kingdom, to live courageously into the freedom that's ours in Jesus. I'm praying that God would do that in us as a community of faith through the book of Colossians. And so Colossians, open your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. And I want us to walk through it. Now, here's some background so that we can understand what is this book of Colossians? Where is Colossae? Why is Paul writing it? So a little bit of background. Colossae was 80 miles from Ephesus. And Ephesus in the day was the prominent uh, metropolitan Mecca. And Colossae was on the outskirts of that. It was a small town and it was in a, a town that's in the shadows of bigger neighbors like Laodicea and Aeropolis. And the church was born most likely when Paul spent two years in Ephesus. Acts 19 tells us that he was there for two years, that he was preaching the gospel so that all Jews and Greeks who lived in the whole province of Asia had heard the word of the Lord. And when he was preaching in Ephesus, there were two visitors that came from Colossae, uh, Philemon and a person by the name of Epaphras. 
And they came to faith in Jesus through Paul's preaching. Uh, we know that when they went back to Colossae, that Philemon formed a church. There was a church that met in his home and that Epaphras and Philemon were evangelizing in the valley, sharing the good news of Jesus and people were coming to faith and this church was born in Colossae. But there was a problem that came up in the church. And so what happens is Epaphras comes to Paul while he's in prison and he asked for help. And the problem was this, there was false teachers that were coming in. There was a popular heresy known as Gnosticism. And Gnosticism uh, comes from the Greek word gnosis, to know. And these are the people who thought that they were in the know. They were the spiritually knowledgeable people. And that they had superior knowledge, much more superior than just normal average Christians. And Gnosticism was not an organized religion or an organized cult. It was uh, a loosely formed group of people similar to what today we might call the New Age movement, where everybody is sort of loosely connected, but they're tapping into higher spiritual knowledge. And so they thought of themselves as the super spiritual people. Uh, they believed that everything material was implicitly evil and that only that which is spiritual was actually good. God wasn't involved in creation. He wasn't involved in the material world. And they, so it's easy for them to teach then that Jesus Christ is no way the son of God because he was human and he couldn't be human and God at the same time. They denied that he was the creator. They denied that uh, he was human. They denied that the whole of the incarnation and definitely not enough to be God. And so in their system, they actually had sort of like a ladder where, yeah, you could start with Christ, but then you work your way up and beyond Christ through spiritual steps. Some of those steps were asceticism where they would uh, fast and pray and, you know, try to try to disengage from the body, separating themselves. They used Jewish legalism as part of that. They had secret codes and astrology and, and, you know, on and on. It was just a hodgepodge of everything. And so Paul is being held in prison at the time, and he gets this message from Epaphras. And that's what leads us to this amazing letter. It's one of Paul's most brilliant letters. And what you'll see is even though that within the church you had this rampant heresy that was taking place, that Paul doesn't come in and just start bashing them over the head and accusing them of things. He simply pre presents Christ, like Christ the creator, Christ all-sufficient, Christ the redeemer, Christ the entire answer, and the complete solution to the human predicament. It was a letter that not only helped the Colossian church, but has helped the church throughout history with other types of heresy. And all of our relig religious tendencies kind of think that Jesus is not enough. Even as Christians, we easily think that, that Jesus is not enough. Like, yes, I got my sins forgiven. Yes, he saved me, but I need to 
and the list goes on and on and on. And we really believe that we could experience Christ within us, but only when we actually get ourselves figured out. When we quit doing this, when we do more of that, when we become holy enough, then we can start to experience Christ in us. And what Paul does is he celebrates what God has done in the church as he prepares the pastor them through their struggles. And so look with me at chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, the love that you have for all God's people, and the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up in you, for you, in heaven, about which you've already heard the true message of the gospel that has come to you in the same way that gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing in you among you since the first day that you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Okay, those are the first eight verses. And what I want you to understand and what I want us to see is that what Paul is so thankful for what he's excited about, about this little church in Colossae, is because he sees that they have genuine faith. What does genuine faith mean? It means that what they have is the fruit of faith in Christ. The fruit is faith and love for God and love for his people that spring up from the hope that is stored up for us in heaven through the gospel. He says that when I look at you, brothers and sisters, I see genuine faith. And that same gospel that changed you, it has been bearing the same fruit of genuine faith all over the world. It's like God has an orchard, which is the world, and it is filling up with the message of Jesus. And that filling up is bearing fruit that is expanding and growing all over the world. So three things that produce, that, that reveal, I guess, genuine faith. And they are faith in Christ that bears the fruit of love for others and hope that perseveres that hopes in heaven and perseveres. I want you to think about that for yourself. When you think about those, those words, that definition of genuine faith, he says, that's what I have heard you have. That causes me to thank God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do you think he's so thankful? In what way does he see other people with genuine faith encourage him? See, I think he sees people whose faith not only was cognizant, in other words, they said, I believe, but that 
in saying they believe, they actually bore the fruit of that belief. And that fruit carried over and showed itself in how they loved each other. It showed itself in how they hope in heaven that awaits us. Faith and hope and love, these are always Paul's three big sort of containers for genuine faith. And what I would invite you today, brothers and sisters, is as you look at your faith, as you think about what someone might look at in your life when it comes to your faith in Jesus, and what thank, thank you letter would they write? What would they thank God for about your faith? And it's my prayer that as we go through this book of Colossians, that we would connect sort of our cognitive belief in Jesus to a deep-rooted sense of love, his love, that springs up and bears fruit, that it would be connected to a deep hope that no matter what happens to us in the circumstances around us, that we have a hope that's eternal, that comes from the heaven that Jesus bought us? What would it look like if the Apostle Paul was writing a letter about Imago Day? What would he thank God for about our faith? And then he moves right then, he moves from thanking God to actually saying, I'm praying for you. Verse 9, for this reason, since the day we have heard about it, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in your knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of God's holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from a dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul is the king of run-on sentences, right? His sentences just go on and on and on. For this reason, I pray, and it just goes. But let's break it up, because what, it, what I want us to see here is, is how do we pray for the church? How can we look at what Paul is praying, that he can't stop praying, and begin to pray for the church that way? Pray for our brothers and sisters. Pray for our home communities and small groups. Pray for the churches of Portland. And when, when we often are asked, will you pray for the church or will you pray for this group or this community, we always kind of go to helping prayers. Yeah, God, help them with this and fix that. But, but I want us to, to pay attention to what Paul prays here. He says, I can't stop praying for them because of the gospel's work in their life. Are we drawn to prayer because we see Jesus at work in other people's life? The first thing he prays, he says, I pray that God will fill us up with the knowledge of his will. So the first prayer that he prays for the church is a prayer for knowledge. 
that through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, notice this isn't knowledge of just our own sort of IQ, our own logic, our own rationale. It is the Spirit that gives wisdom, the Spirit that gives understanding. God says, uh, Paul says, I am praying that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will. This is a prayer for knowledge. We also recognize that this is, this is work. This is the work of the Spirit, and this is the work of the Word, that when we are inviting God to fill us with the knowledge of, of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding, what we're saying is there that the Spirit has to bring that knowledge to us. That when we open the word, that what we expect to happen is that it would reveal Christ to us. This is a prayer for knowledge that builds up and protects the community. If we are filled with uh, understanding and knowledge of God's will, then we're protected from the cultural seductions of our day. That we are gaining spiritual and biblical full knowing. The, the word for knowledge that Paul uses here is epigenosko. It's a word for full knowledge. It's the way that we know someone relationally. It's the way that a husband and wife know each other. It's relational knowledge. And that Paul is saying, I want you to have that relational knowledge based on the actual character of God, that you would know him and experience him, that you would prove him faithful because of how you live your life. He prays a prayer for knowledge. The next aspect of the prayer is a prayer where we would pray that we would walk in faithfulness to God. It's a, it's a prayer for practice. It's a prayer for conduct. In Hebrew, uh, they, they believe that you didn't know something until you could practice it. In other words, knowledge wasn't something that you read in a book. It wasn't something that you took a test for. It was something that you actually could live out. It was applied knowledge. And when you could practice it, then you could actually say you knew it. But until you could live it out, that was just information, Knowledge was the application of that truth. This is where Paul is getting this idea of genuine faith from. He says, I want, I want you to walk in faithfulness. You can imagine these two pictures. On one hand, you have a contemplative scholar who studies the Greek and the Hebrew all the time, just day in and day out. He's contemplating the nature of God and systematizing theology, but it never really moves beyond his own sort of devouring of information. On the other hand, you have an activist. You have somebody who is out there and they're fighting and they're serving and they're in the streets all the time, but they really don't have time to know Christ more. You see, both of those are insufficient. When he says, I want you to have a worthy walk, that I want you to walk in faithfulness, he's talking about that you would walk in the knowledge of the Lord, growing in that, but also putting it into practice, 
that what you know about God, you can actually, you can actually reveal in how you live your life and how you treat people and what you engage in. Contemplation without action is useless, and action without contemplation is insufficient. He prays that they would walk in a worthy manner, a worthy walk, and, and that worthiness is so that they could live a life that was worthy of the Lord, that they could please the Lord. Hebrew, the Hebrew word walk meant conduct. What we do is spiritual. I think in the Western church for hundreds of years, we have separated what we know from what we do. What Paul is doing is he's holding these together. He says, I want you to have a worthy walk. Walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord and pleases the Lord, making Jesus happy, right? That's what we're called to do. He says, bear fruit in every good work. It means that we're walking in knowing more and more. We're growing in the knowledge of God. And so he prays for them to have knowledge. He prays for their conduct and the way that they walk. But he also prays for power. He says, I pray that you would have a powerful walk with Jesus. Being strengthened with all power from God's glorious might. The word strengthened, the idea there is a steady stream or a steady supply, not just that you have this one-time kind of mass of God empowerment to do something, but that you are continually being supplied the strength and the power from God, not from yourself that you would have be strengthened with all of God's power from God's glory at this might. The prayer is that you would walk in power and that that power would allow you to have great endurance and patience. Endurance, the, the picture there is that you could hold your position in battle. I love that. Because when I think of endurance, it feels like, how long do I have to go through this? But when the Bible uses the word endurance, it makes, uh, it makes it clear that what we're enduring in is faith, that we're standing in our faith, enduring the life that gets thrown at us, enduring the temptations, enduring a world that doesn't really have a home for us here. And we're doing that by the power of God, the steady stream of power. And in our endurance, we're also learning patience, long-suffering. We're enduring circumstances. We're patient with people. And so Paul tells them, I'm praying that you would have knowledge of God's will. I'm praying that you would walk in a manner that's faithful your behavior, that you'd apply that knowledge. And I'm praying that you would have power, that it would be a powerful walk in the steady stream of God's might so that you could stand and hold that position of battle as you fight the fight of faith and that you would be long-suffering with other people. And so he says, that's what I'm praying. But he doesn't stop there. He keeps praying. We pray, Lord, give them the power to never give up, especially when it's hard. Help them be patient with people. 
do it for them as a steady flow of your power, Lord. If that, if I was going to sum up that section there at the end, it would be that. Lord, give them the power to never give up, especially when it's hard. Help them. Help us be patient with people and do this with a steady flow of your power. And then he goes on to say, I want, I, I'm praying that you'll be joyful and thankful to the Father who made us fit to be part of his holy people. There's a thankfulness there. And it's not just a generic thankfulness, a thankfulness that, okay, we're, you know, we receive forgiveness, so we're thankful. But this is a, a thankfulness that says we're going to be thankful all the time to the Father. Thankful that you're qualified to share in his inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. That we didn't do anything to earn this place of being sons and daughters of the Father. God himself qualified us through the sacrifice of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the life of Jesus. And how can we respond to such a beautiful gift to be saved and redeemed and rescued? Well, you respond by being thankful. Thank you. Thank you for making me fit for your kingdom, for qualifying me. He says, pray and be thankful all the time to your father. Be thankful that he rescued you from the dominion of darkness. You know, it's easy for us to forget what life is like apart from Christ. It's been years and years since I was apart from Christ. But I, I remember I wouldn't wake up every day thinking, oh, man, I live in the dominion of darkness. But as soon as I became a believer, I could see the difference, the light that I was brought into with grace and mercy and love of God. And that is a dominion of darkness. The world has a dominion of darkness. The enemy, the devil, is a dominion of darkness. The flesh longs for to be fed by the dominion of darkness. And Jesus Christ rescued us from that. We couldn't get ourselves out of that darkness. But he came and rescued us from the dominion of darkness. So he says, give thanks all the time for that. That's a miracle. That is an act of God towards you, an act of love and mercy and divine salvation. And he says, I pray that you be thankful all the time to the Father, but also be thankful that he has brought us into the kingdom of Jesus who the Father loves, that we weren't just rescued from a dominion of darkness, but we were transferred into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Christ. We didn't do that. We didn't make ourselves fit for the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of light. Jesus did it. And so, brothers and sisters, when Paul's praying for them, he's going, I pray that, that you would apprehend that to such an extent that your heart would overflow with thankfulness. Father, thank you. Because there's nothing in me that allowed me to be your son or your daughter. But you made me that. Father, thank you that, that when I was stuck in this dominion of darkness, that you came and you blew the doors down and you rescued me. Father, thank you that, that you didn't just rescue me, but you led me into your eternal kingdom, the kingdom of your son. 
Paul tells us exactly what he's praying for, for the church. And he invites us all to pray for one another. And so when you compare what Paul has prayed here to how you pray for others, it, for me, I know it's vastly different, right? That This prayer is not my average prayer. I might pray a help me prayer or a God show up prayer or a comfort prayer. But, but what I would say is that if we began, that, that our prayers often reflect what we believe God can do. And so the absence of some of these things that Paul is praying for probably stems from unbelief that God would really show up and reveal the knowledge of his will through his spirit, that God would actually uh, give me a steady stream of power to walk in a manner that's worthy of him. But Paul was so filled with the knowledge, that full relational knowledge of God, that he said, God, I want you to give it all to him. And people, I pray that that would cause a response from you that would just be overflowing with thankfulness all the time. Imago Day, what would it look like for God to answer this prayer for you in your life? What would it look like for us to begin to pray in faith with boldness and courage these big, massive prayers for one another? As we wrap up, I want to challenge you to take a test the test of genuine faith. The genuine faith that is love for Jesus and others and hope in his kingdom and that eternal reward. Do we have this kind of faith? And if you don't, what I want to do today is I want to ask God to give it to you. This is not a faith you can earn. He qualifies, he rescues, he saves, he uh, transfers us into that kingdom. It's all him. And what our job is, is to trust Jesus as our rescuer and redeemer. And then I want to pray a prayer for the church, similar to what Paul prayed. I kind of put it in different words, but I want to lead us in that prayer. And so what I want to pray is I want to pray for those of you who are looking at your faith and going, I don't know if it's genuine. And I want to invite you to trust Jesus as your rescuer and redeemer. And then I'll lead us together uh, at home and uh, through this prayer for us at Imago. So let me pray. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that as we look into our own hearts, God, as we examine this genuine faith, that as we look for the fruit of love for other people, the fruit of hope in all that you've accomplished and all that you're going to accomplish in us through the future, and God, if we don't find that fruit in our lives, what we want to do this morning is we want to say, Jesus, I trust you as my rescuer. You can repeat that at home. Jesus, I trust you as my rescuer, and I trust you as my redeemer. Fill me with your spirit. 
Give me genuine faith and hope and love that I might bear fruit of faith in Jesus. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, brothers and sisters, I just encourage you to open the Word of God, to read the Gospels, to actually read the book of Colossians. Just read it over and over as we teach through it here in the next few weeks. But what I want us to do is I want us to pray a prayer together that's going to come on the screen here. And I want you to repeat after me, or say it with me, rather, as I lead us through this prayer. Father, we pray that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will, with all wisdom and understanding. We pray that we will faithfully live for Jesus and act in ways that make you happy. When we're alone and with other people you love, we pray that you would give us a steady stream of your mighty power so that we'll never give up, especially when it's hard. And that we will be patient with each other. We pray, Father, that we would be thankful all the time. Thankful you qualified us to receive your kingdom now and forever. We didn't do anything to earn it. Thankful that you rescued us from the realm of darkness and moved us into your light all by yourself. We thank you that you gave us Jesus, the son you love, that you redeemed us with his own blood and forgave all our sins. Father, we pray these things for your glory and our joy. Let us be the people you created us to be. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.